0: you have discovered or, or have known, we've been trying to advertise that this is a very special day. We're doing two very separate things, and we want to make clear that we're separated. And then one, we're doing a parent-child dedication that we're going to enter into now, and then we're going to do a baptism. Uh, we want to separate those because we don't believe baptism is a part of salvation, is a reflection of it. And it's done for those who know what they're entering into. It is a time to proclaim uh, Jesus as their Savior when we get into baptism. But parent-child dedications are important. They're important to the church. They're important to families. And I want to spend just a few moments talking about a few scriptures, why we do this. and, And why we challenge our parents. And not only the parents, we're going to challenge the church. Because you're a vital role. Now, we don't believe that it takes a village. That was a joke. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But we do believe that the church has an important role to come alongside moms and dads in the pointing of their children to the Lord. And the church is responsible for do that, to help that next generation love the Lord Jesus Christ and know them. So I'm going to talk about that just for a few moments and take you to a few scriptures. And then we're going to call five families up here. And we are going to pray for these families and, and dedicate these moms and dads and their children to the Lord. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me. It's the fifth book in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And By the way, those who have little ones in here, we're keeping all the little ones in except the fours and fives. We'll dismiss them shortly because we want children to see the baptism today. So um, hunker in, kids. It's going to be a great service. I promise you. And uh, it's an exciting thing. And we pray that you'll be in the waters of baptism sometime as you grow in the Lord as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me set the setting here. They're about ready to go into the land um, that God has promised them. And God is commanding parents to parent their children, to point them to the things of the Lord. And I want to prove today, all the way through the scriptures, God has instructed moms and dads to train their children to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me be very clear here, folks. Moms and dads, we can't save our children. I have four of them. I've not saved any of them. God does that. But moms and dads, what we do is we point their little spiritual faces towards the cross, Help them understand sin and the need of a Savior. That's what we do. At church here, as, as a church, we love our children's ministry. If you've not been around here very long, we have, we have as many children in our church as we do adults. It's, it's a very lot of children. And it's our goal as a ministry here, as Grace Children's Ministries, to point those children to come alongside mom and dad and help point them on Sunday mornings towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But this has been a teaching all through the scriptures, as you will see. Notice with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and following. He is speaking to the nation of Israel here. This is God's first people that He's called to His name. Next, He calls the church. We'll look at that in a moment. But here He says to Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Who else quoted that verse in the Bible? Thank you. We're awake. Yes, it is a command for us to love with everything that we have. Right? Heart, soul, mind, body, strength. Love the Lord Jesus Christ. Love our God and our Savior, we call Him in the New New Testament. Our triune God. Notice verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today, notice it's not a suggestion, parents. It isn't say, well, maybe you should do these things. I am commanding these, these are commandments in the scriptures for us to follow as those who love God. These which I am commanding you today shall be your heart. They shall be on your heart. And you can't teach something very well that's not on your hearts, moms and dads, can you? It doesn't work very well when you tell your kids to do something that's not on your own heart, does it? Kids see through that, don't they? But here it says, teach these things that are on your heart. The love of God, the love of the Lord, loving Him with all your heart, your soul, and your might. And then look at verse 7. His instruction to the nation. You shall teach them diligently. Teach them diligently. That means continually. Stay with it. Be on top of this, moms and dads. To your sons and talk to them when they sit in your house and when they walk by the way and when they lie down and when they rise up. You should bind them on a sign of your hand and they shall be from the frontal of your forehead. And you should write them on your doorpost and on your house and on your gates. What's the idea there? In every moment, whether you're laying your children down at night or you're busy about the day, you should be talking about your Savior with them. This is the goal of a mom and dad. This is what moms and dads do. Kids, let's learn to love the Lord. Let me make one more charge before we move on to another passage. This also means moms and dads need to be honest with their children. Moms, dads, have you ever asked your children for forgiveness? And said, you know, son, daughter, that was godless, what I did. I should not have spoke that way, I should not have acted that way. That is not what what Jesus Christ would want. In fact, he died for that sin. Will you forgive me? See, this is that parenting, that directing your children towards the Lord. Teaching them to ask forgiveness, to, to go to the Lord in those things. This is loving the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Look at another passage with me, Psalms chapter 78. We'll move to the, uh, the Israel, Israel is now in the nation, King David is ruling, uh, things are very well developed now, and let's see if anything has changed in the commands that are given. Psalm 78. Look at the first four verses with me here. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. God is speaking through ASAP. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth at a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Whoa, that goes right back to Deuteronomy. We're gonna, you need to utter these things, these things we know about God that have been ha- passed down from our fathers. Verse four, we have not concealed them from their children. We will not conceal them from our children. Oh, what a statement. Teach God's word to your children. Teach them. Teach them what God has to say about. It. But look at this, middle of verse four. But tell to the generations to come the praise of the Lord. Oh, I love that verse. We love that in children's ministry, don't we? Tell the next generation of the glories of the Lord. Tell them what Jesus did on the cross. Tell them how God created the heavens and earth. Tell them how perfect our God and Savior is and all that He does. Tell them that He can forgive sins. Tell them that He can make you blameless before God. See, we are to tell the next generation these truths. Come and praise the Lord with them. Look at the last statement. And His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. Oh, moms and dads, tell them. Grandparents, there's some of you in here today. Oh, you've got a great role. I love seeing grandparents with their grandchildren on their lap. They think you're golden. They think you can do no wrong. Oh, grandparents, help their parents point them to Jesus. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ in you here, you have a great role as a grandparent. You get to send them home at night. But you also get to say, look, son, let's read some of the Bible together. Granddaughter, let's read some of the Bible together. Let's look at the great things God has done. Well, there's two passages in the Old Testament. Let's briefly look at Ephesians chapter 6, and then we'll call these families forward. Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible is clear on headship in the home, and here it is really highlighted that the husband, the father, is to lead in these ways. Now, not in every home is there a father, and so moms step in and do much of this at times. um, But the instruction is clear for us in how we are to handle our children. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 and down through 6, 9 is the management of a godly family. How the godly family is to reflect Christ in many ways. But he drops all the way down here in verse 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That would be the opposite of the gospel, wouldn't it? When we preach the gospel, it's very joyful, isn't it? Don't provoke the anger. Parents, don't bring your children to anger. Bring them to the gospel. And here's what it says. But bring them up in the discipline, and in the instruction of the Lord. The idea of training is the word here. Train them towards the Lord. Again, remember, we can't save our children. That's not something man can do. God has to save people. He has to wipe sins away through Jesus Christ. But we can train them to look at Jesus. Parents, have your children in church. Have them in Sunday school. Put them in front of the word of God, morning, night. Speak with the great things of the Lord and we'll see the Lord work in your family in wonderful ways. So, moms and dads, it's your job. This is more of a parent dedication, right? Isn't it? And it's, it's a charge to moms and dads to love their children. So it's my pleasure here to bring up some families: the Fishers, uh, Vines, the Herrera, Herrera's, the Pembertons, and the Madara, Madaraha. I think I get that right. May and Russell. Come come, Um, come on up as well. So fours and fives are dismissed and the rest uh, hunker down. And we're going to talk about baptism in just a minute. And then we're going to start through um, nine people being baptized today. Isn't that great? All right. All right. Let's pray as we look into the word of God briefly here. Father, we thank you for a chance to stand here and and see the outward demonstration of what you did inwardly in these brothers and sisters' lives, Lord, that are about to be baptized. We thank you that you gave us this ordinance within the church. Because it is a beautiful proclamation of the salvation that Jesus did in each and every one of their hearts, Lord, and ours. So, Father, we ask that this would bring you honor and this would bring you glory. We praise this. We praise you for this demonstration today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Acts real quick and then one other passage in Romans. But we'll start in Acts. I want to talk about baptism just for a moment. Because we want to make sure that we understand why we baptize. Many religions baptize. Um, We don't see ourselves as a religion. Uh, religion um, denotes a lot of works. We put our faith alone in Jesus Christ alone is the, is the belief of uh, Christian church, the Christian Bible-believing, Christ-following, gospel-centered church. But baptism has always been a part of the New Testament church. In fact, baptism was along, along before the New Testament church. But there was a great difference between the baptism, even in Jesus' days on the earth, then the baptism of the New Testament church. And I want to make sure we understand that. The baptism that you find in the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was a baptism of repentance outside of Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism was a guideline to show the rest of the world where to go and what to do with it and to be anointed by the Father. But all other baptisms in the Bible before Acts chapter 2 were baptisms of repentance. So, the apostles would baptize the disciples, and particularly John the Baptist, would baptize those in an order to repent, to change their direction. That they have been not serving God, they've been serving other things themselves. But when we get to the New Testament, a beautiful display of baptism happens. I want to just show you one. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. Let me set the context for you. Um, Our dear friend Philip, the great evangelist, one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, is on his way to Samaria. History tells us he became a great church planner there and reached out in places where not very many people would go. But he is on his way to Samaria and he comes alongside an Ethiopian soldier. And there he finds that this Ethiopian soldier is reading the Bible. He's reading Isaiah 53. But he doesn't understand what he's reading. And Philip says, can I share with you? Can I I help you understand that? And he says, yes, I don't understand it. So Philip jumps in the chariot with him. Explains Isaiah 53 that that lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that lamb took sin upon him for that Ethiopian uh, soldier. And that Ethiopian soldier at that moment places faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're parked alongside a pond or something. Or some body of water here. And he wants to be baptized. Now, here he is saying, I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. We find early in the New Testament, baptisms happen quickly because there was such a force against Christianity. So they were identified as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in this text. Look at verse 38 with me. It says this, And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip, as well as the the eunuch, and he he baptized him. So this is water baptism. here. This is the actual physical act that we're going to see here in just a few moments. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. So here's water baptism. We see it often in the New Testament. When people get saved, they step into the waters of baptism to say, Look, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I forsake all other religions. I forsake all other things. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the word baptism is used to teach us a great amount of theology within the scripture. So I want to take you to Romans chapter 6 and teach you um, and help you see the beautiful teaching of baptism from a theological understanding of it. Romans chapter 6. Now, Paul has spent five chapters in the book of Romans to prove that two things, that all men are sinners. He's worked very hard to show there's nobody that is not a sinner. Every person in here, every person ever born on this world is a sinner. He's worked very hard to do that. But then he turns his attention to a very clear gospel that's devoid of any works. Doesn't have anything to do with you. In fact, many theologians said it's alien of us. That's what the Bible teaches. So Paul knows that there's those that are going to say, Oh, well this is this new form of Christianity where you can just believe in Jesus and live any way you want. Is that true? Okay, let's look what he has to say. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? The Spirit's moving Paul to anticipate the question. Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? So should we just continue... Oh, we, oh! this Jesus, he's this new rabbit foot that I have. I can live any way I want. Paul says, he answers the question in verse 2, May it never be. They literally translated this word in their vernacular, and we would translate it this way, impossible. How? Look at what he says. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So a Christian, when a Christian becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, when a person places their faith in Christ alone, they begin to die, they died at that point to sin, and they begin to die to more sin. And we don't enjoy sin as much anymore, do we? In fact, we're bothered by it, as a Christian. And so Paul says, we can't continue in sin. Now look at what he does here, verse 3, I really want to point this out. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now, there are some people that think that verse is talking about water baptism. But it's actually not. It's it's the Greek word baptismo. We just didn't do a very good job bringing it across to English. Because it's a little bit of a difficult word. But here it is not talking about water baptism. And and I'll show you several other passages to prove this. But it is talking about being identified in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me show you how this word is used. In in extra-biblical material, you would find it used of a woman washing dishes. And she would baptismo her dishes down into the water. She would immerse them into the water. It was used of people who would join groups or soldiers attached to a certain regiment. They would say, I am, I am baptismo to that group. I am identified with that group of people. So let me read the verse and put in, change the English word a little bit. Let's read it this way. Or do you not know that all of us, that's believers in Jesus Christ who have been immersed or identified into Christ Jesus, have been immersed or identified into his death. See how that is? So, when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that moment you receive Jesus, God places you, he immerses you into Christ. He immerses you into Christ's death, he immerses you into Christ's burial, and he immerses you into Christ's resurrection. So that's what baptism is this picture. You're in a minute you 're going to see somebody, give their testimony here, and then we 'll baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and they 're going to go down and as they go down it 's a picture of them dying with Christ. Their sins died with Christ, they were buried with Christ, and when they arose, sins were forgiven it 's such a beautiful picture of what happened in their life at the day of salvation. Now, I want to be very clear what 's going to take place here in just a few moments is not salvation you 're not saved because you are baptized. Because we got a problem. There's a thief on the cross. He never got a chance. Hold on, guys. Pull these nails out of my hands. If I'm going to go to heaven, I have to be baptized. That didn't happen, did it? So now we get a chance to say, I want to tell publicly my friends and family and church family that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. My faith is in him. And that's what they're going to do here. Look at the last verse, verse 4. Therefore... We have been buried with him. There's a picture of going down through identification, through immersion into his death. So when he died, we died. Isn't that beautiful? When he died, all Scott's sins died with him. Past, present, and future. All your sins died. And when he arose, there was a newness of life. Look at the end of the verse. So that we might walk in newness of life you're going to see these people when they come up, they're going to be all wet. I'm putting them all the way under. Because I don't want them to be partly, a teaching of partly being saved or God just partly washed away my sin. It is a teaching that he washed them all away and I'm a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a public display of what happened inwardly. Oh, that's awesome, isn't it? If you have not been baptized, you should be if you're a Christian. And some of you probably haven't. Some of you haven't taken that step because you're scared or embarrassed to be in a tub. There's nine people here that are nervous. (laughs) But they love the Lord more than their nervousness. So we encourage you as you watch this that you would pray about it. That you would step into the waters of baptism and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to read you just two more verses real quick to help drive the point, the theological point of this home. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 with me same truth is taught in many of the epistles. This is not a word for baptism. It is a word for identification or immersion. Galatians 3.27 says this, For all of you, that's believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians, who were baptized, immersed, identified into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. Wow, that's the beauty of Christ, dressed in his righteousness. You've been identified with Jesus Christ. You've been identified with his righteousness now. Look at one more verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. These are not verses on water baptism. They're, they're theological teaching of our position in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. And there's more, but time limit us. We need to get to Duncan people here. Chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him, that's Jesus, in baptism, in identification, in immersion in Christ. Having been identified in Christ, Paul says here, in which you were also raised up. So I promise, and I had to promise all these nine folks here that I'm going to get them out. It's easy to drop them down, but I promise because I have to because Jesus rose from the dead. Because that's the picture, right? Right? So, so here's what Paul says. He says, look, since you've been buried with him and identified him in a burial, you're also identified in the raising up of him. So when Jesus, listen to this, just last thought, when Jesus came out of that grave, God said, I accept you completely for everything you did. The sins of all who will believe in you will be washed away. Isn't that Amazing. And as you watch these people come up, it's a picture of Christ coming out of the grave and forgiving sins. And these people's sins are forgiven at salvation. This is a demonstration later of they're going, I want to publicly tell you that my sins are forgiven by Jesus Christ. Not by any works that I've done. Not the family I'm in. Not the church that I go to. Not the money that I have given. I am saved because Jesus Christ alone changed my life. That's what they're going to tell you in this tub here in a moment. Praise the Lord. Let's pray, and then Ron's going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to get changed. Father, thank you for the great instruction on baptism. It is a beautiful thing, Lord. And we as a church get to demonstrate this publicly. Publicly tell people, our friends, our family, our church family, that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, I ask that you bless these nine people, these nine children of yours, Lord. That they give you credit, and they give you glory here. And the church rejoices for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, bless this next few moments as we identify people in Christ. In your precious name, amen.